Yo, yo. Yo, that um, tweet function is cool. I like that, that it just gives you the option to tweet right away. Sometimes technology works well. It does. I'm re-watching this Cavs-Blazers game. It was so lit. I did not watch that game. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't watch it all the way through either. I just I watched like the first quarter, and then I went to sleep, or at least tried to. Blazers choked this game away. This is where someone listening can be like, he doesn't watch the games. I don't even know who won. Enlighten me what happened, to be honest. Portland was up by like 16 for most of the game. Cavs came back. They ended up at this point, it's 117-111 with 36 seconds to go. Donovan Mitchell had a horrible night. He only had 18, but he like hit some crucial shots down the stretch. Josh Hart, Damian Lillard had 50. Josh Hart turned the ball over right in the middle of like a very crucial possession breakaway Garland lobbed to Donovan Mitchell night night sleep mask. <laughs> I thought about doing a story about how Steph Curry's night night celebration traveled the world. Oh yeah. That's a good story. Then I realized it would have taken a lot of time and uh some I don't know stories I, aren't worth the squeeze. Some stories aren't worth the squeeze. So here's the idea. Now the world knows that I thought about it. That concept. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. You thought about it and it was just too much work. Here's um here's another quick thought because I always get takey when we hang out with the microphone in front of us. Nice. You know how everyone is complaining about the for you thing on Twitter? Right. I think it's good, man. I think it's it's a it's an attention suck, I'll tell you that. I have a thirty minute time limit on my twitter app every day i never hit it really if I, do, if I do hit it it's like when i'm in bed at like 11 o'clock before i'm logging off for the night and uh i i was on the for you tab for like 25 minutes this afternoon just like staring because it's all this stuff you don't follow and you don't see and they're just crazy things that i, I like I don't. I don't see all the takes. I don't see the Emmanuel Acho saying there are two types of realities: Twitter versus the real. Like I don't. It's just there's so many online people out there. It is bonkers to me, and I never really get exposed to it. And seeing it just being dumped in front of me, it's just wild. It's a. I understand why TikTok is so effective. Yeah, you just get sucked in. You're sucked in and you, you look up and you're like, wow, it's been 25 minutes. It's just curated to show you things that you would find remotely intriguing. And it's even like more intriguing that there are people that I don't follow. Like it's information that I have not actively decided that I want to receive. So it makes it somehow more enticing. I don't know. It's, bonkers psychology it's terrifying um i think that's why people don't like it because it is so curated and so designed for you to want to have more of it i guess yeah i mean in the algorithm for tiktok you can change the algorithm moment to moment by how long you stay on something whether you swipe past something it's crazy how fast they'll just change and sometimes i'll decide okay i'm only only gonna stay on topics like this and then it'll only feed me topics like that after like maybe two, three minutes of doing that. 
Well, what NBA topics would you like to talk about? I know we're going to talk Sacramento. I'm curious about the Hawks. Of the Beam team, yeah, yeah, we're both members of the Beam team for sure. What are you curious about with Atlanta? So, to me, this is what I'm seeing, and then you can kind of give me your the reality of it because I never am in deep enough to know the reality. So, Travis Schlenk went from potential executive of the year to being jettisoned in two years. And some of the decisions that were very puzzling, like, for example, extending John Collins, he sort of felt like he was forced to do based on them going to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? And he even said last year, like, I regret that decision. And then the DeJounte Murray trade happens. I found that odd at the time for him. And now we're seeing that that wasn't really his decision either. So they've gotten rid of him at first kind of blaming him for the mouth, like the dysfunction there. And now it feels like they're just bringing on their friends. We got the 27 year old son of the owner coming in, bringing in Landry fields. Then they're hiring a warriors beat reporter to be the director of player personnel and Kyle Corver. Like wh- what is going on here? Because it feels like an organization in, in a lot of disarray. Yeah, we talked a lot about the structure of the organization with Brad Rowland on here a couple weeks back. Um, and look, there's a lot of owner sons who are really involved in a lot of teams. That's like just kind of how the NBA works. Um, I mean, Jeannie Buss is obviously not an owner's son. She is a, you know, she was Jerry, or she, I guess, is Jerry Buss's daughter, right? And that that is how she rose to power in the organization, of course. Like, this is a family business to a certain extent. Um, So that on its face is, like, not the craziest thing to me. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, clearly there is just a shifting of the tides um, in how the organization is being um, run. And Nick Ressler definitely has a a large say so in decision-making there um, with Landry Fields. um, And they seem to have a pretty good relationship and rapport um, when they were in town when was it? It was the, the Wednesday after that Friday that tried to interrupt the game. They played the Knicks. And, like, that was, like, the, the current front office structure of the Hawks. This was, you know, weeks before Travis Schlenk exited left. Um, it was Nick Ressler and Landry Fields and Ryan Silverstein, the cap strategist that uh, Sam Amick mentioned in his article today at The Athletic. Um there's another wrestler son that um, is around um, and Grant Liftman coming over from the Warriors. Definitely him and Landry have a close relationship. Um, and that is how a lot of other front offices are organized too. I mean, Dell Dumps and other close you know, contacts of – Tim Connolly come over to Minnesota when, when he takes over the Wolves, right? Like, that's a pretty consistent thing around the league. So, 
that's how this type of stuff ends up happening. Is it is it different in that it happened while another guy was in theory in power? Yeah, that's where it starts to be a little bit noteworthy. And as Sam wrote, um, like there's not a single person in the NBA who is of the impression that Travis Schlenk wanted to acquire DeJounte Murray. Um, but that being said, like now that the, the page has kind of been turned, will that allow them to do certain things and move in one direction as opposed to having like competing ideas at the top? Maybe that's, maybe that'll be a win. I don't know. I, we, we, we really got to kind of see how this all unfolds because it is, there does seem to be uh, an interesting dynamic at play where like I was told this week by someone around the Hawks that like a large factor in Aaron holiday being on the roster um, is that there's a connection with Nick wrestler from Los Angeles. So um, and like Justin Hall, but then also like his brother, Justin holiday is very close with Nate McMillan and like, so those type of things happen. It's just it's it's hard to separate what things are done or what decisions are made that are like too close um, for comfort or like that's just the connectivity that happens in professional sports. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If I'm John Collins and I'm even Trey Young to a certain degree, you gotta think that an a, an organization that's been in chaos for this long where there's competing ideals, competing power structures. Also, you know, you've been on the trade block for three years, like probably not getting the best out of their players right now. Yeah. I mean, John's production has noticeably slipped and that's, that's no secret. Um, but look, I mean, a lot of the, the I mean, if DeJounte and Trey don't want to play together, like that trade doesn't happen. And I think part of why there was so much capital expended for DeJounte was because of how much they wanted to play together. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, and I do think, unfortunately, a large reason as to why it hasn't um, flourished is the fact that Trey Young doesn't really have any interest in playing off the ball. And like there, there's a huge thought around the NBA right now of like trying to get your massive usage rate guys um, more catch and shoot opportunities, make their life easier, you know, follow the kind of Steph Curry model of him running around off screens and whatnot. Like I know the Bulls talk about it with Zach Levine. I know Dame's looking to get more catch and shoot threes. Trey just doesn't play that way, never has played that way. And a lot of what guys and how players think is like, what got me to the league? What got me to be the number five pick? What got me to be an all-star? What got me to be, a supermax contract player. It was the way I played. Um, and the way Trey played was being a ball dominant pick and roll ball handler. And that's like not just going to happen overnight, but it is also 40 games now. And I don't know, there's clearly going to be a new head coach in Atlanta by next season. Like that seems to be a foregone conclusion. Right. Um, so like, will they be able to have coaching search where they find the Jason kid for Luka Doncic or the Chauncey Billups for like a specific, you know, that there has never been like a specific, we hired this guy to maximize this player head coaching hire for Trey Young yet. Like maybe that'll be able to be a big step forward moving, moving into the next season and beyond. But yeah, there's definitely 
lot of uncertainty right now and trading John Collins would be a massive step in the right direction of like figuring out some unilateral direction for this franchise. You think they actually get anything for him or do you think guys like Danny Ainge come in and they see that there's blood in the water and there's inexperienced people at the top and they, and he figures out, okay, this is a weakness I can exploit. I think I mean, the value for him is completely, you know, tanked from where it was years ago. Um, they're they're going to be able to get something in some capacity. Um, I don't know if it's going to totally move the needle for the Hawks, though. Like, they're just – the length of his contract there, – there is a thought that, you know, to go to Danny Ainge, like, there, there's so much Utah, right, that comes up in ideas about moving him there. Like, there is a thought that – well, A, John Collins would seem to be pretty antithetical to a Utah Jazz rebuild, right? Established player, hefty contract, what have you. But, like, his contract is so long, um, four years left after this season. Um, and maybe when the time the new TV contract comes into play, that, like, there won't be – it won't be looked at um, well, I guess, excuse me, there's three years left after the season and then a player option. We're, there's, we're still in the middle of, a, of a, the second of, the, of those five years. Um, like maybe the deal won't look as bad, and by that point, you'll have rehabbed his value, blah, blah, blah. Um, like, I get that concept, but at this point, like, I think the Hawks getting back two rotation-level players to split that salary is probably the best estimation of what he's going to get back for them wow yeah so i mean somebody's going to get him for free pretty much and he's a really good player yeah he's a really good player so we've talked about that remember i was talking about that maybe last year as before before um when we were talking about the difference between maybe jeremy jeremy grant and john collins for the blazers and i liked them both so i think there's a lot left in him I think a lot of it's just your motivation ends up going away when you just don't feel wanted. You feel like there was issues with the contract negotiation and then now all this too. And honestly, like any big man, unless you're Clint Capella, where you know that you're limited and you're, all your points are going to come from lobs from Trey Young. If you're a guy who wants plays called for him and you want to be able to have the ball in your hand, put the ball on the floor, do things, Playing with Trey Young sounds awful. That is an opinion of yours that you're more than welcome to share. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that he's a bad I'm not saying he's a bad player. I just think certain types of players would not enjoy that scenery. Yeah. That's all. That's all. Um what is another NBA topic that your TikTok feed would curate for you? Ooh. What's wrong with the uh, the Bucks and Chris Middleton? I mean, unfortunately, injuries are just a big part of the game, right? Yeah, he just hasn't been able to be healthy. Just just like Lonzo Ball in Chicago, like yeah. Sometimes that's just what it is, and there's a lot being asked on Giannis and Drew Holiday on both sides of the ball in order for this team to play at that same level, um, and win every night. And I do wonder how much that uh, exertion on a game-to-game level is going to potentially rear its ugly head down later um, in this season. It, it's something that um, I'm certainly curious about, and Milwaukee clearly wants to try to 
use Grayson Allen to find an upgrade, um, but doesn't seem to be like there's there's been much luck there. Do you think they go out and get like a Jay Crowder or? That's the guy. To... That, that's the guy that yeah. that seems to be at the top of Milwaukee's list. Yeah, but buyout probably versus trade, right? Um, I mean, they're trying to trade for him. They have tried to trade for him. It's weird. It's a lot going on. I think right now in the NBA, where it's like we're at forty-one games, right? And I think we're just finally being able to be like, okay, well. The NBA season's still young. Like, we're still figuring out who these teams are. And you look up and you're like, oh, we're halfway through the season. Like, things are starting to come to light. And the East is is interesting to me because the Bucks I had as the central team to be able to make another run now that I thought Chris Middleton was going to be healthy. Had a wrist thing. Now he has a knee thing. And they just don't seem to be able to generate enough consistent offense without him and you'd imagine that outside of Jay there's got to be another piece for them coming because especially who knows what what's up with Brooke in a playoff situation with his health there's just a lot of health stuff there uh Drew was injured at one point through through the year too so I've just been very disappointed with how up and down Milwaukee looks even without Chris right they're losing to getting blown out by bad teams which, you know, it is what it is. It's a regular season. But that's still alarming to me if I'm, if I'm, you know, quote-unquote handicapping or predicting yeah. or betting on how these teams are going to do. It started in the, um, the shortened post-bubble season where there was no fans in the, in the stadiums where it seemed like it became very, very, very easy for teams to let go of their rope. And offense is so good now that we've, you know, started to see these 50, 60 point wins sometimes um, across the board in the league. So um, I don't think that's like specific to the Bucks, but it clearly is something to keep an eye on for them. Cause when they're, they have lost games, they, they have been prone to lose them in pretty dramatic fashion. Um, I'm curious what you think the Sacramento Kings can do to upgrade, uh, to push this beam team more, in a solid standing outside of the play and tournament picture altogether. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I was talking to James Ham, who I love and he's obviously super connected with that team and has been around them for a long time is the, it's really, really fascinating to me because Mike Brown, and I think he's doing a good job overall. He is giving guys in the rotation bench guys, you know, very, very little rope to make mistakes. And if you make a few mistakes in the course of a game, you may not come back in the game at all. And that happened to Terrence Davis. That's happened to um, Trey Lyles. That's happened to uh, a bunch of different guys coming in and out. Obviously, Rashawn Holmes has fallen out, out of favor pretty much completely. But they need some role players that they can rely on outside of just Malik Monk. And they need somebody in non-Sabonis minutes, right? Like, you look at how bad Denver is in non-Jokic minutes, that's, like, compounded by a gajillion when Sabonis is out. So they need a backup big. And I don't think you're getting someone like Thomas Bryant, but I was at the game against the Lakers, and Thomas Bryant 
eight. He had 29 points and 14 rebounds, and he's on a minimum contract. So, you know, maybe next, you know, this offseason, you try and do the same thing that you did with Malik Monk, and you offer him a little bit more than the minimum, right? Because I think he would be awesome off the bench as long as he's healthy. His whole thing is that he hasn't been healthy when he was with Washington. He's, like, super, super talented. So I like him. The name that's been floated out there a lot, and, you know, I know that this is probably gross to a lot of casual fans, is is Mason Plumley, um, because he's a big man who doesn't really get a lot of respect. He's a very vanilla player. He, but he's an incredible passer, which is exactly what they need to score on. You know, for, you know on the bench, it's a guy who you can deliver the ball to. Isn't going to have to score himself, but can kind of find open guys and facilitate the offense outside of just you know guys like Malik Monk, guys coming off the bench like Davion Mitchell. So. I think he's going to be a piece that they go after. And then I think that the white whale that would really help them would not help them from a, a standpoint of a backup center, but help them a lot in a bunch of different other ways is honestly, Laurie Markkinen. Like Laurie Markkinen for them. He's not, he's not gettable. He's not gettable. But would you get, if, if you gave Danny Ainge two first round picks and Keegan Murray, do you think he would bite? Maybe, but I don't think Sacramento is offering that either. I've I've heard it's a possibility. I don't know if it is a possibility, but I think at this point, if you're in a window where you feel like these guys want to win, at least now, you're saying to yourself, "Well, Keegan Murray's probably not going to produce at the level of Laurie Markkinen for the next for the next three, four years at least, right? He's got to develop. Laurie Markkinen took time to to sizzle and to marinate. If you can get that <laughs> production right right away." You know, and you let Keegan Murray hang out in a rebuild. Keegan Murray's a perfect jazz player, too. You know, like he just would fit that vibe, like just Iowa guy, you know, fine around a lot of white folks, fine, fine with a lot of, you know, rebuilding and, and that kind of a vibe. So, I, like you said, it's probably not gettable, but I think that's their biggest white whale. Um, would love to know if that's if that deal would actually get done from Danny because I think that's I think if you're Sacramento you should at least explore that thought. No, it's 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 a good thought. Um, I think part of the balance of present day team building though is when you can have a player on a rookie contract, it is just massive yeah. counting. Yeah. You're going to have to pay DeMondis a bonus coming up very soon. Um, I believe he's a free agent next summer. Um, and that's going to get pretty pricey. Um, Larry Markkinen is obviously playing his way into a massive contract as well. Um, his deal's up. He's got a partially guaranteed deal in 24-25. And Larry's on an incredible market deal right now. Yeah. I, uh, maybe you do pull the trigger if you're sacked. I don't. That's a difficult one. You're right. I'd be very curious to see what each side would take. Because um, he's under team control for another two years. Yeah, I thought that twenty four twenty five was a player option, but it's not. It's just partially guaranteed. What a deal the Cavs got Larry Market on last year. Incredible, incredible. So yeah, I mean, I think those are the ones that I think help. You know, maybe somebody like if. You know, the Knicks are playing okay right now. 
I mean, you need to get guys who can defend the rim too, you know? And so finding guys who are on, you know, low contracts like Nerlens Noel or, you know, obviously somebody like OG Ananobi would be someone to try to target. I don't know how gettable he is. If Markinen's not gettable, I'm not sh- so sure how gettable OG is. But Toronto's kind of in disarray as well right now. I would actually be curious. Ha- have people in Toronto, and I love Nick, as you know, um, and I think he's a good coach. And I think that's that's now becoming something that's less and less heard in NBA circles. There's sort of feel a feeling that the team is is tuning him out. So we can stay on the Sacramento Kings if you want, but at some point I'd like to get your thoughts on him too. Yeah, let's go Toronto. Yeah. My thoughts on Nick Nurse? Just on like this team and whether there's any not hot buns, but like just kind of <laughs> where we're at in terms of how the team is feeling about one another, about him. You know, obviously there's factions within that roster too, because guys have played on the G league together and things that you've already said in the past about OG and his role that obviously have not changed. Scotty Barnes's regression, which is totally normal, but actually still happening. Perhaps fan says Nick nurse has the full support of the front office and ownership. Uh, that's, that's I'm glad that rap. I'm glad that raps fans think that. Uh, so that's what raps fan. That is the that is the username in the comments. Raps fan. Um, mm. I mean, it's it is a spot that people in the league are looking at as a potential opportunity for turnover. I mean, that's what coaches do. Coaches mm-hmm. are looking for the next job. People talk about who could be on the hot seat where. That's a spot that people are looking at. Not saying that is what it is, but saying that, that is a position that people are curious how it will unfold. And how it will unfold, I think, will be very um, dependent on the results. And that sound, could sound like a bullshit answer, but like that's just the reality. I mean, there are just so many teams from Chicago to Toronto to Washington to the Lakers to some degree who are waiting to figure out just how good they are um, and are holding their cards before they make a move. Toronto will not. Toronto is going to do something. That that seems pretty clear. That seems to be a consensus from people around the team that I've spoken with. Um, and the reality is they won three straight games right now, and they apparently have one of the easier schedules in the league coming down the stretch here. Um, and if they decide, like, you know, one, three straight, they've got Atlanta at home on Saturday, they've got New York on Monday, um, and Milwaukee, Minnesota, Boston, New York, um, like if they wake up at the end of January and they've won like nine of 11, then people will be happier. People will be playing harder. And I could see the Raptors making a move to upgrade and try to push this thing a bit further. But they're still where they are now in the bottom of the playing picture. There's going to be some changes. And Gary Trent's name is definitely the most discussed um, from what I've heard. And, I mean, it seems like the rappers will be willing to listen to pretty much most of their guys. Um, so I, I would think – Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam, from my understanding, are 
the two, like, you're, I mean, probably not even going to be a conversation. Everybody else seems like the rappers are going to be willing to listen and willing to talk. And it really is going to be dependent on, um, it really is going to be dependent on how well the team does and what, what the results show and how much optimism there is that it's just a precursor of more success to come. Uh, Cause that's also the thought that like the Raptors front office believed this group had the ability to take a step forward and just needs needed to write the ship and figure it out. Um, but they're running out of time to do that. Yeah, they are. And you mentioned just only Siakam and Scotty. Does that mean, and I've heard Fred Van Fleet's name come out, come up as well. And this sort of ties into another team that's been in trade rumors a lot. You think that they would consider moving Fred Van Fleet? And then also, do you think there's a possibility, and they've already had this deal done before, and I don't know how, how the deal even gets done, considering what pieces they would need to move for it to happen. But, like, the Miami Heat have been in every trade rumor, and they obviously need a point guard. Kyle Lowry, it feels like has just lost a lot of who he was when he was at the his in his time in, on the Raptors. Like, what do you think they do? Like, I, he's the Heat are even in trade rumors to try to go get get Trey Young, which I don't know how that works. Yeah, I mean, the Heat are always looking for the next star to add, and clearly they're performing below expectations as well. So they're going to be sniffing around every scenario. They were. Sniffing around Donovan Mitchell and sniffing around Kevin Durant, and they link get they get linked to Zach Levine, so they're always going to be shopping and looking around and surveying and and trying to figure out ways to stack their deck to be able to make a move at a certain point in time. The the, the Van Vliet stuff, I mean, he is Kyle Lowry two there to a certain extent, and is very important to the fabric of that culture and. Clearly would love to be there. I think the front office would love to have him. Um, but at a certain point, I mean, with Scotty and Pascal, there's a there's also kind of a shifting of the tectonic plates there of, of more ball handling opportunities for those guys. And Fred kind of, in theory, I know Eric Corrine wrote a pretty good thing at The Athletic um, about how kind of debunking that Fred's role has changed so much um, when he said on – J.J. Barea's podcast, not J.J. Barea, <laughs> J.J. Reddick. Shout out J.J. Barea. Um, and J.J. Reddick. And J.J. Reddick. I'm a big fan of J.J. Reddick. Um, so, yeah, I think there could certainly be opportunities for Toronto to move him, but they're going to they're gonna need asking prices met. I mean, remember the 2020 trade deadline, or maybe it was the 2021, I forget the year, but the deadline before Kyle Lowry was ultimately moved, um, I guess that was 21, um, where, you know, you had the Lakers and you had Philly and there's probably other teams being rumored about as being, you know, on the phone with the Raptors and then the Raptors didn't like any of the deals and then they held hung up the phone and the, and the, and the deadline passed and then they ended up moving Kyle at, in a sign and trade to Miami and brought by Precious, blah, blah, blah. Um, like that could certainly happen too. Like I think the Raptors are going to set their prices and ultimately hold out for the highest, you know, offer for any guy that they decide that they're willing to part with. Um, and that will be their only goal value in terms of 
um, you know, trying to make this team better. I, I don't think they're just going to fire sale and just sell guys to sell guys. I think they really do. I mean, the Raptors seem to be one of the many teams that just love their guys and value their guys and believe in their guys, maybe a little bit more than other teams do, but also like people love the Raptors players. Like, OG Adonobu will fetch a haul. Um, if Pascal Siakam was ever made available, like there'd be a ton of teams offering a lot of capital for him. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my ramble. You think the Heat would really go after D'Angelo Russell? I saw that was, uh, I think, yours today, that D'Angelo would might be on the move as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've been told that Miami likes D'Lo, and they have made that. Why? <laughs> I don't have that answer for you. They don't uh, say why. They're like, oh, we like his ability to to collapse in crucial moments. We think we can turn him into a hard rock. He's a very talented player. Yes. Like, yes. Um, and look, I also wrote that I don't think that a Kyle Lowry for Danville Russell trade is going to happen. I don't think the Timberwolves. You know, while they're certainly interested in a, in exploring non-D'Angelo uh, point guard scenarios moving forward, they're not just going to move him to move him. Um, and he has a very large responsibility in that offense. Um, but the reality is, like, he's an expiring contract, and there's just greater value opportunity to move him now if you don't plan on resigning him via bird rights. And yeah hoping that there's a sign-and-trade scenario that works out to you so you can get commensurate value back. If, if you don't want to bring him back and you don't trade him, then you're just going to lose financial wiggle room. It's just going to happen. So yeah. um, it's something I'm prepared for. I don't, I, just, I don't know. I mean, I think a deal that would make a ton of sense is with Phoenix um, in that there's definitely an idea around the league that the Suns are looking at guards who could potentially be a, a backup to Chris Paul right now, but also a long-term replacement. And there is connections there. And D'Lo is a free agent back in 2019. He's close to Devin Booker. There's a ton of contracts um, that would add up to D'Lo's salary with J- Jay Crowder and Dario Saric and Landry Shamit. that by all accounts, all three of those players, the Suns are open and actively looking to find new homes. Uh, I don't know if that's enough to get it done for Minnesota side of things, but I, I could see um, Crowder having a lot of value in terms of upping the defensive intensity that that team tends to lack at times. Um, Shamit could provide a little bit more shooting uh, that you know all teams need, especially teams who start two seven-footers when all guys are healthy. Um, so that would be an idea that I'm curious about, but I don't, I don't know who's – lining up to trade for D'Angelo Russell right now. I don't. He's a mid-level guy in this next contract. I don't think he thinks so. Well, he thinks he's like going to get another max, right? But that's obviously not going to happen. The only reason that D'Lo got that money to begin with is because it made the money work with the Kevin Durant trade. And I have heard and people said in my conversations this week, trying to look at background that like at first he was very, and I still think, feels a bit spurned uh, by that situation, but definitely recognize in hindsight that that, um, that, uh, um, that opportunity helped pad his bank account. Yeah. I think he's a bit grateful for that. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I think about the Timberwolves and the player that, you know, cause they obviously need a pass first guy too. 
And I think about guys who have already played for them and teams that either have a plethora of guards or are probably going to let go of the rope. And I think about Trey Jones, who obviously is from the area, played for the Timberwolves. Or that was Tyus, actually. So, but needless to say. And then Ricky Rubio. Do you think there's a chance that they could go out and get one of those guys? If that's like a possibility, do you think there's really any hope for them to make a move for a table setter? Tyus would be pretty great. Um, I don't think there'd be a ton of interest from Minnesota, from Memphis, excuse me, on the reverse end of that deal. No, but what about uh, Trey? Trey is very, I, I would think, is very gettable. Right, because the um, Spurs are 13 and 29. Yeah, I don't know if he has been established enough to be your long, like your answer, your gamble of the guy that you're, um, you know, trying to be your point guard when you mortgage five first round picks to turn this thing into a into a perennial, you know, conference finals. Right. Um, being that the only success he's had has been in that rebuilding situation. Rubio, I mean, the Cavs, the Cavs very very much value. And, yeah. Um. Seems like exactly what Minnesota would want him for is why Cleveland wants him and they're excited that he's coming back. I don't think they'd be willing to move him. Wow. Wow. So what do you think happens now with the rotation for the Cavs now that Rubio is back? Because he's probably going to get, what, like 20 minutes a night or something like that, and that's going to eat into somebody's minutes. Yeah. I think, look, they've unfortunately dealt a lot of injury situations where they haven't had all those guys at a certain point. Um, yeah. So. The idea is definitely he'll be third guard type, four setter guy. Where you know, when Karras is out, when Darius is out, when Donovan's out, his his opportunities will increase. Um, but I don't think they're expecting him to play massive, massive minutes. I think they're expecting him to be just that sturdy, reliable vet who can bring ball connectivity, open floor shooting, stuff like that. Um, and more of a complimentary piece when, when called upon. I, I don't think there's this grand idea that Ricky Rubio is coming in and like gobbling up a ton of minutes. No, no, not a ton. But I look at like guys like you, you talk about trades and, and maybe moves that Cav, the Cavs could make. You think like somebody like a Coro or, or Karras or man. Yeah. I mean, that's probably, probably the two. Any Cleveland move, I'd be I'd be expecting to see more um, more on the perimeter and at the three spot than anything else. Um, we've got a call from TT. We'll see if TT can uh, unmute and ask us a question, and then let's 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 start to to wrap this up. I got I got some uh, more writing I have to get to today. Nice. This has been great. TT, what's yeah. up? Uh, do you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay, uh, I read the article that you uh, wrote this morning. Uh, I had the follow-up question on yeah, D'Angelo. What's, so. what's his market in the summer? Yeah, we were just talking about that. I mean, I don't think it's very vast, unfortunately. Um, and in terms of, like, salary range, like, like Tristic said, he's more mid-level money. I mean, I think he'll probably – you know, Tyus Jones was the name you mentioned earlier. Like, he was at $15 million a year. That's probably the range, I think – he'll ultimately come to, which is, which is, I think the mid-level is slated to be around 11 next season. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we'll probably see him 
being valued as such, being valued as one of the better backups slash one of the lesser starters. That's kind of where he's uh, being considered right now. Gotcha. Uh, one more question. Yeah. How about how about Fred Van Fleet? What's his uh, – I know he's a free agent in the summer. Same question for him. Yeah, we spoke about that as well. Um, thank you, TT. Um, I think with um, – I think with – Fred, I mean, his salary a lot will be performance based, and um, I think that there's still very much an opportunity. It's been it's been made clear to me that they can have these extension conversations at the end of the season again, and maybe he does end up uh, taking the four one fourteen that he's allowed to grab, um, and all hunky dory, and he's the point guard moving forward. He's also um, you know, he's about to turn 29. He, he is approaching 30. And the fact that he's a smaller guard and was never someone that had, you know, eye-popping athleticism, uh, I think that that's something people are going to consider in terms of longer-term deals. So if we saw Fred, if we saw a lot of guys, especially um, with the TV deal coming up, I think we're going to see a lot of deals that are reminiscent of the J.J. Reddick contract he signed to go back to an earlier name. Um, when he signed in Philly for like a bit of an above market deal at the time, it was like two for 32 or something like that. Like, I think we'll see some guys decide to take, you know, pricey two year contracts, pricey three year contracts to get back on the market, um, before the, the, the new TV money is expected to kick in in 25 or so. Um, but I also think, uh, that'll be ways for teams to, pay guys that they want to pay, but not have too long-term of a commitment where they're stuck in a situation like the Hawks are at John Collins right now. Trista, anything else before we get out of here? Ooh, let's see. Let's see. Is there any more tea that is not being discussed that you think you would like to impart to me and, and the rest of the listeners? Any more tea? Let me pull up the standings. Pull up those standings, my guy. I am very curious what the Washington Wizards do because if they don't make the playoffs, they lose their first-round pick. And not making the playoffs would be a pretty big, devastating blow for a team that just paid Bradley Beal a massive amount of money gave him a no trade clause um, and people have wondered people in the league have wondered what the staying power of decision makers there will be if that is the case so I'll say that I'll say that you know what I think there's a lot going on there with the Wizards as someone who lives in DC and knows you know I think DC is interesting because the owners uh, you know, own NBC Sports Washington now. Uh, Monumental Sports owns NBC Sports Washington. So there's no coverage that can come out in any negative way about the Wizards unless it's national. And let's be honest, nobody wants to talk about the Wizards in the national media. So all that anyone hears about the Wizards is positive uh, unless it's some random, like, thing that comes out here and there from someone on Twitter. But they're 18 and 24 right now. You have to imagine that that would be a... a a reason to alleviate Tommy Shepard from his duties if, and maybe who knows with Bradley Beal, 
like because I said this yesterday. I think that Bradley Beal is the most protected player in the NBA by the media. Like he's the most, uh, I guess, overlooked in terms of giving criticism where criticism is due. He hasn't been healthy, and that's been the biggest issue so far. I mean, he's just not he's not there enough. <laughs> not there enough, and in the fourth quarter, I'd rather have Kyle Kuzma shoot over him, which is just wild. Wait, wait, wait. Does Kuzma get moved, yes or no? They keep saying they don't want to move him, but that could be posturing. And if they get a sense that he's leaving him for agency, I I would think they they have to move him. That that's that's kind of been uh, the going idea, let's say. Yeah. Well, it's uh, right. it's going to be interesting. Well, I appreciate uh, us chopping it up. We'll have to you do it more. It. Let me let the people know where they can listen to your stuff. So Heat Check podcast, find that it's called Heat Check with Trista Crick. Just H E A T Check C H E C K. That comes out twice a week. We have interviews as well with fantastic guests like Jake Fisher comes on. You can find me on Twitter at uh, T R Y S T A underscore Crick K R I C K. Find me on TikTok at at This Heat Check. That's probably where you get clips from the show. Uh, yeah, and Instagram, same thing, Trista underscore Crick. Pretty much all the same content outside of Twitter. So whatever you find to be the best platform for you, I will be there. There you go. All right. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks you for too. Write, write some for us so that we can eat, eat up your content. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Take all care. All right. See ya.